can find that on page 807, Matthew chapter 2. It's good to have um, all the, the, the wonders of the holiday season going on around us with uh, the college kids coming home and our students at home uh, getting uh, off. I think most of them get off sometime this week and uh, having a break from school. Uh, it's also fun to see um, uh, Carolyn Swanson go crazy over some crazy looking jacket that AJ's wearing today. Patrick Vincent asked me when we started a new uh, a used car lot, and I told him, I, you know, I guess that's, I guess now, you know. So, <laughs> all he needs, you know, one of the things Patrick doesn't understand is there's a lot of Southern Presbyterians that, that dress like that, and so what AJ's really trying to do is get in good with this committee coming up in his interview process, so he's going to have a bow tie and some white shoes too pretty soon. Uh, Chuck needs to get in on that too very soon. Um, uh, as we come to our text today and as we come to think about uh, what Matthew has for us, the first question I want to ask you is what do you think of when you hear the word Christmas? What do you think of? Uh, I think sometimes it depends on the time of year it is. So for example, in January, you may be thinking of, oh, that credit card bill's coming. I'm going to have a lot to pay off. Oh, man, that's a lot of money I've spent over the holidays. Uh, maybe uh, in July, you're thinking, wow, it's Christmas in July. It's not that far away. I've got gifts to buy and all these things. There's all these sales going on Christmas in July. This is great. Or you may be thinking, man, there's a lot of things I have to do between now and Christmas. Already thinking about that in July. In October, you may be thinking about family that you will see. The long chats you'll have over uh, dinners, the delighted faces of children as they open up their gifts. Uh, you may be thinking about Christmas uh, church services or relaxing uh, with that last cup of coffee after a long evening. Um, or might you have thoughts of, wow, it's even closer than I thought here and I've got a lot to do before we get to December. In December, things seem to change a little bit, maybe even into November now because you know, they keep pressing all these things backwards, Christmas music and lights, and there were people that decorated their houses in my neighborhood before Thanksgiving. I was like, this is incredible. So in December, maybe you love the lights. Maybe you love the shopping and the constant events that you go to, or maybe you're an introvert and you just want to be in a corner somewhere with a good book. Um, maybe you're looking forward to the time with extended family, or maybe you're wincing that you're going to have to be around Uncle John once again. Do you smile at nostalgic times? Do you cry over dark times? Do you feel lonely? Do you feel content? Do you feel passionate or passionless? The list could go on and on and on, but one thing is for sure. Everyone has some thought, or better yet, response about Christmas. And so today, we're going to look at some key responses that Matthew reveals to us. And these are not responses to what we would think of as the cultural phenomenon of the American English Christmas holiday season, but something much more important that we often overlook. In our study of Matthew, he has presented evidence that Jesus is the Messiah who has been promised in the Old Testament. And that he provides an eyewitness narrative of his life and teachings with a view toward Jesus being the Messiah and the King. 
And so, yes, 2,000 years ago, the eternal God entered into the womb of a virgin where His human body grew for nine months. His mother gave birth to a son, the Son of God, who took on flesh and blood of man. And that, my friends, demands a response. It requires a response. So we'll find these responses here in Matthew. So let's take our text and let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means left among rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men secretly, I'm sorry, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, uh, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it, rose, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed on their own country by another way. This is the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We ask you to um, penetrate our hearts with it. Let us see new things. Let us explore this text and be uh, in in a place of wonder as we see how great and glorious you are. Lord, help us. Uh, to see the responses here as well, and to check our own hearts and how we respond to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, This text we read from Matthew's Gospel here is only in Matthew. Uh, we see here the first responses that he, re- he records for us to Jesus the Messiah King in the first advent um, to planet Earth as a baby. So let's suspend suspend today our typical uh, cultural Christmas thinking. You know, all those cartoons, all the children's books, all the nativity scenes. And let's consider the text itself and how much more fully it enhances the biblical truth laid out for us in Matthew's witness particularly. He tells us, first of all, about those who sought the king to worship him. He tells us, second of all, about those who opposed the king and desired him harm. After unpacking this, we'll also consider our response to the newborn king. So let's look at, first of all, those who sought the king to worship him. 
Matthew begins in chapter 2. He says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now again, suspend your typical Western cultural Christmas thinking. Not to allow it to disturb your faith, but suspend it to grow in faith in the reality of who Christ is here. And, and for us to do that, we need to ask a few questions of this text. First of all, this is the first question. Who were these people that Matthew mentions? Who are the Magi? Well, the Magi, or singular Magos, was a person um, noted for unusual capacity of understanding based upon astrology. Such persons were regarded as combining both secular and religious aspects of knowing and understanding. So we may consider them something like this, wise men priests almost. They played a, an important role in the political and religious uh, areas of, of their land. And they were uh, figures of prominence as well in their lands. So here in Matthew 2.1, the Magi could then be translated as men of wisdom who studied the stars. Maybe you would translate it that way. As you read it, think of it that way. Men who translated um, and studied the stars. Um, they combined astronomical observation with astrological speculation. In other words, they were professional stargazers who made speculations about their gazing. This then leads to our second question. Why would those people, why would those people who are involved in those particular things, why would they be in Jerusalem? Why would they come? Verse 2 gives us the answer very simply. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? We saw a star. We've come to worship him. Now that's fantastic, actually. I want you to think about it. It's fantastic. It's, it's incredible. Here these men from way off in another country have come to seek the, the king of the Jews, the child who was born. Fantastic. But this brings up a mystery for us. It brings up an immediate follow-up question. And that question is this. How in the world did they come to seek this king? How in the world did they come to seek the Messiah? Well, uh, maybe they, 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 they came because of uh, 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 some connections that they had in their minds with, with previous writings. Uh, uh, maybe they... they they had known something of Daniel, maybe, or some of the other exiles. We really don't know. And even if they did find out those things, why did they decide then to pursue such a quest? I want you to think about the quest that they're pursuing here. If you were to go back in the Old Testament and you were to look at Ezra, who traveled from the, the Babylonian area to Jerusalem, you would find out that he traveled nearly 900 miles. Now that's one thing sitting in a nice, comfortable suburban, right? Or a, or a nice little sports car. But it's another thing when you're walking. And you're going through the various dangerous areas. and The, the places where thieves and crooks and, 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 and thieves would hide out to try to take things from you. They're traveling so far. And it's perilous. It's dangerous. 
And of all the things that should make us stop in this text, it's, it's, it's this. What are they doing? Who are they? What is going on here? Now, unfortunately, the typical um, emotional pull that we have at a Christmas time, instead of thinking about those particular things, is to look at these wise men standing at the manger scene. Now, honestly, and probably most likely, that did not happen. And that's one of the cultural things that we have to jump over. It probably didn't happen that way. Uh, as we envision in our culture. For example, in verse 11, notice that they go to the house where the child was, where the family lived. Not a stable or, or a shed that he was born in. And also, he is called a child here in Matthew and not a baby. So this is the thing that should make us stop in our tracks and consider, what is Matthew wanting us to get here? Understand that despite the pagan background of these men and the powerful ungodly influence in their lives, these magi recognize the grace of God in a star. As one writer put it, God reverses expectations and chooses to speak to stargazers through a star. In other words, He reveals Himself in nature to them. We're left to wonder, how did they come to that place? Did they have some scriptures that they were looking at? How did they make the connection? Whatever the case is, and it's a total mystery because we're not given any answers here. We're left to wonder, and I love that. It has, I love things like that. To wonder at scripture and to think, what could have happened? Why did this take place? What? And, and to not know, it's a great joy in my heart. To be honest with you, I love that mystery. So whatever the case may be, what we, are, what we see here is that these men were compelled to go on a dangerous quest to find and worship the King, the Messiah. Now what you're going to see here in just a moment is, is that Herod and, uh, and some of the others, they don't know anything about Jesus the Messiah. And yet these men know something. Again, it's incredible. It should astonish us. Matthew is, is screaming out for the world to hear, the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jews. And while the promised one does indeed come from the Jews through Abraham and David, and Matthew makes that point strongly, and then he's born into this young Jewish couple's uh, family, Joseph and Mary, Jesus is for the Gentiles, for the whole world. And that is right here, at the very beginning of the gospel, something Matthew desperately wants us to see. That Jesus is for everyone. So, if we see that and we understand that, we have to ask the question, is there anyone that we think the gospel is not for? Might there be someone that you would think, well, not them. Not them. They're way too different. They're, they're a little too far away. I doubt they would ever believe. This week I read a story about a documentary that actually came out this past Friday on a Showtime. I don't have cable, so I don't, I don't get to watch these things. But this looks very interesting to me. It's called Loud Crazy Love. 
And it's a documentary about guitarist Brian Head Welch of the new metal band Korn. You may remember some, I do remember some of their music is in the 90s. And um, he was a Grammy-winning rock star. And if you look at him, he's got the piercings. He's got the tattoos. He's got the long hair about down to here. It's in dreadlocks. And he does that, you know, that new metal stuff. It's like head-banging kind of stuff. Some of you people have never probably experienced that. It's like they're all in it. And in, in his life, he's, he's losing himself to alcohol. He's losing himself to drugs in this crazy world. And he and his wife um, have a, a, a baby, and so they decide to give this child up for adoption. She gets pregnant again, and this time they decide, we're going to keep this child. And so he takes the child. He has custody of the child. They get a divorce uh, from my understanding, you know, her life was not much different than his life in terms of being strung out and, and, and addicted to drugs and all that whole scene there. But he took custody of this particular young lady, this baby, and he raised her. Think about that, a rock and roll star. So can you imagine what sort of lifestyle he would raise her in? The documentary is really, there's a trailer with it that, that goes along. And so I got to watch that. And I was just, you know, shocked at her honesty and the things she saw, the things she experienced. So you can imagine how rocky this particular um, um, uh, relationship was. And, and how uh, she was exposed to all the destruction and all of the depravity and all of the wickedness. Uh, at one point, he says in the documentary, I became an animal. That's some pretty hardcore stuff there. And so the question is, is the gospel for such as these? Would the gospel be for a man who has tattoos and piercings and, and long hair that's in dreadlocks? It's a little bit different than our cultural Christianity look, isn't it? Is the gospel for sinners? Is it for tax collectors? Is it for prostitutes? Is it for Gentiles and rock and roll stars and astrologers from the East? Is the gospel for such as these? Well, in 2005, Welch walked away from corn. And he walked away from, get this, a $23 million record deal. Because he started looking at his life and he started looking at his daughter and he, you know, he, he just realized that this is, this is horrible. I mean, people are trying to get her to do drugs and, and I'm a mess and I'm out of control. And so he says, I just get on my knees. I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do? And he begins to follow God. Some of you may know his story. I mean, it's not pretty. It's hard. You know, when you come out of that type of lifestyle, it's not like you're Mr. Clean the next day. It doesn't work that way. But he struggled over these years. He's continued to look to the Lord. And he said this. He says, most Christians don't understand me, but I follow the Lord. The gospel is for such as these. How astonishing. How incredible. That God would reach out to someone like that. And even more astonishing that he would reach out to someone like us. It's amazing. So what happens here in response is when the Magi find the child, they unbelievably, in verse 10, are, are rejoicing because the star, I guess it had disappeared 
Because that's the way the text kind of reads. They were following the star to Jerusalem. They get there and then it's gone. And then all of a sudden it reappears as they're searching for Him. And it leads them directly to the house. That's how the text reads. And so they see the child there. And they see His mother. And what they do here is they fall down and they worship Him. And they open up their treasures. Why? Because they've been working with kings. They know kings. They know how they are. And they know I cannot come into the presence of this person without bringing these incredible precious gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now listen, we have no idea really where they stood in terms of allegiance to Jesus. But Matthew is making it clear in these passages that these wise men sought Him to worship Him. Which is way more than those in our second point. Point number two, those opposed the king, who opposed the king and desired to harm Him. While the Magi were seeking the king, others closer in actually had no clue when the visitors from the east entered Jerusalem, it's noteworthy that the star led them there, but again, it, it just stopped right then. It's, they didn't see it anymore. They're in the capital. And so they begin to ask around concerning the, where the king of the Jews is because they desire to worship him. And so you can imagine how this strange entourage drew quite a bit of attention. I mean, Jerusalem's probably a metropolitan city. At that time, there's a lot of people from a lot of different places. But still, here these people are. They're a little different, a little eccentric maybe. Who knows? Maybe they had tattoos and dreadlocks too. You see what I'm saying? And so they're, they're there and they're asking the question. And the questions are especially interesting. Where is the king of the Jews? King of the Jews, what king? Did Herod have a baby? Another one? Well, what's going on here? So Herod soon got wind of it. He knows he has had another child. And so he, he calls him in. And he says, what's going on? And the text says that Jerusalem is, that Herod's troubled and Jerusalem's troubled. And so when a tyrant is troubled, all are troubled with good reason. So who is this King Herod that they get called into? Who is he? King Herod was Herod the Great who ruled Palestine from 37 B.C. until he died in 4 B.C. He was half Jew, half Edomite, which is a descendant of Esau. So he was a direct descendant of Esau. He, through accommodation of the Romans, ascended to power as a client ruler of Israel. And he was known as a great builder of public works, a shrewd diplomat in dealings with both Romans and Jews. Uh, with Jews. And he, he led oppressive taxes on the people. He drafted people for labor of the Israelites. He was cruel. He was crafty. Um, he permitted no one, not even his own family, to interfere with his rule or to prevent the satisfying of his own evil desires. He was a ruthless murderer. He killed his own wife, killed his own brothers, and three of his sons because he respect, uh, suspected them of treason. He was married at least nine times in order to fulfill his lusts and to strengthen his, his political ties. And as he grew older, he became increasingly paranoid about threats against his person and throne. So you can imagine with this hunger and grasp for power, he would want to know who is this so-called king? What is this about? 
Now, at that time, we know that, you know, there are all sorts of different discussions and things about the Messiah and whatever, but this is different. These men have come. They've seen a star. Something's going on here. He knows it. He recognizes it. And so what he does, because he has no clue of what's going on, is he, he assembles the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquires of them where this Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. While the Magi were seeking the king, Herod desired to oppose the king. This Messiah was a threat to him. A threat he decided that could not be taken lightly. So he sent the Magi further out to look for him, to seek the child in Bethlehem, and to come back and inform him that he might actually worship him, but that's not what he wanted to do. We see later on that he wanted to respond in cruelty. He wanted the child dead. And because he didn't know who the child was, because the Magi didn't return, he had all the male children in Bethlehem killed in that region, two years old and younger. You can imagine why the people might be fearful and troubled at heart at this news because they know Herod. Several commentators even point not only to Herod in this passage in terms of response, but they point to the apathy of the chief priests and scribes who appear to be ignoring the king. These priests knew the Scriptures and, and that it pointed to the Savior, but they would not go and worship Him themselves. They quoted Micah 5.2, but they did not obey it. Think of it this way. They were five miles. Five miles from the very Son of God. And yet, they would not take a step to seek Him out and to find Him. So look at it this way. What are the responses here that we have? The Magi worshipped Him. They sought him. They, they, they had little evidence. You know, they, there's just little that they know, but they see a star and they put these things together and they follow. And they look to worship him. Herod hears, I don't want to let go of my power. I am king. And I will think about it. I will destroy the, this king of the Jews. I will destroy this one. It's interesting because you know he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? So he knows something here. He's had some knowledge here. And he wants to know, where will the Messiah be born? In Bethlehem is what they come back with. And so he knows, he knows that this is the Messiah. So understand here, you want to talk about Antichrist? This is Antichrist right here. He wants Jesus dead. And what about the priest and the, and the scribes? They're just ambivalent. It's just ambivalent. So what you see here is Matthew is foreshadowing the future of Jesus the Messiah. You see echoes of it here. The, the shadow of what's to come. That Jesus' presence always arouses a response. Hostility. Resentment. Upheaval. Division. Jesus Himself would later say in, um, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and his daughter, um, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Notice what it says here. 
You can imagine those people in China that some of this is going on, can't you? A son who is angry at his father because of his following Christ goes and talks to the police and tells them, my father's running a church. Because he hates Christ. And you see it. This is what Jesus came to do. And what he means is that he creates division by who he is. So when he came to earth, born of a woman, he demanded some sort of response, even as a child, even as a baby. So the questions that we come to is, is what is our response? What do you make of this child? Matthew is just beginning to reveal him to us. And, and, and actually, it's, it's going to take the whole book because that's what, that's what the Gospels do is they reveal who Jesus is and it's hard for us to just take a pieces in a, apart. He uses the book. and This is just at the very beginning. He's making certain statements here. He desires us to know that this child is the promised Messiah, the apex and culmination of God's eternal plan. For He is the salvation of the human race. He reveals to us through the text what Jesus taught while here on earth. That He was crucified and He was dead and He was buried. But on the third day, He rose again from the dead. That He ascended into heaven and is seated at God's right hand right now. And He will come back to judge the living and the dead. Matthew had in mind that, 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 that text from Isaiah chapter 9 was from so long ago that we've used throughout our service today. For to us a child is born, to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. He shall be called Mighty God. He is God, very God indeed. He shall be called Everlasting Father because He draws us into the Father's presence. He reveals who the Father is, and He changes our relationship so that we too have that glorious fatherly relationship with God whom we spurned and whom we rebelled against. And He is the Prince of Peace. He brings much peace in our hearts. And the text continues that of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. There's a hope coming. There's a hope that peace will come and there will be no end. The throne of David will last over His kingdom. It will be established uh, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is who this Jesus is. And it demands a response. And so what is your response to the man who was born of the Virgin Mary, son of Joseph, son of God, the King? What he does here is he says, you can't just sit out. No one can. Because he's the Creator God who's come to restore all things. So as we think about this, our, our first application is, is the main application that I believe is in the center of biblical tension here that Matthew wants to bring to us. There's lots of things that we can look at, but this first one, this, this one, it just, it just, it's like the one that this is it that we should see. He says, will you respond to the king as the Magi did? Will you respond to them? Now again, it's interesting here because they don't know everything about him. But neither do we, do we? We may know a lot. We know a lot more even than they knew at that time. But 
We still don't know everything, and yet we're called to follow him. We're called to follow him with, who, with what we know. And sometimes that can be a little bit, but he just says, come, come, follow him, look to him. And the Magi did that with great joy and devotion. So if you are here today and you know that you have not responded to faith in him, then do today respond in faith and great joy and expectation. And if you're here today and you're one of his people, uh, think anew of what it is to be in wonder of who he is. Isn't it hard in this season of all the trappings of Christmas uh, culturally to, to really focus on who He is? It's difficult. We're busy. We have uh, all these things to go on. We have gifts to buy. We have things to prepare. It's like Martha and Mary, isn't it? It's like running around trying to do this and do that. Stop. Breathe. Know who He is. Rejoice in the wonder of what it is to follow Christ the King. Give to Him uh, things that are are of worthy gifts. Serve Him with joy, even uh, during the dark and difficult hours. You know, Christmas can be a dark and difficult time for people. You don't have to live in that. You don't have to live in the, in the failings of the past, in the, in the depressions of the moment. Of the, You know the truth that you can do all these things and have all these parties and get that gift that you want and still never be satisfied. And so what, what He is calling us to here is come and be satisfied in the Christ. When they gave those gifts to them, you can sense peace because they gave. Of, of, of themselves. And they went away peaceful, knowing they had worshipped the king. But can you imagine the wise men when they first started following him? It may have been up to two years they followed. I don't think it was that long, but it could have been up to that long that they followed the star. They looked, and do you ever think that they, they were tired and weary? Do you ever think that they thought that they're foolish? That they were disheartened. That they were just wondering, you know, did I make a mistake? Did we, did we eat too many tacos that night and, and we've messed up here? We see the star, but really, I mean, this is taking forever. They went through dark times, you can imagine. Tired, hungry, lonely, or sick. But then they found Him. They found Him. He revealed Himself to them. And they worshipped Him. Finally, one of the things I would like you to think about out of this text, and this is a little bit of a step back. You have to take a step back here to, to think about this. But, but look at Matthew's approach here. His approach in communicating Jesus as the Messiah to his audience, um, as he does here in the rest of the book. You know, what he's doing is, is he is speaking mostly to a Jewish audience, and he is pressing the point that Jesus is the Messiah King. If you go to some of the other Gospels, they kind of look at it from different directions. There's, there's a, as a matter of fact, that's one of the things that in the commentaries they spend a lot of pages on is why is this text not in the other Gospels or whatever? You can imagine. You remember John said that if you wrote down everything Jesus did, you'd just fill all these libraries up. So they have all this plethora of information that they can take from. And they're not taking it ill-willed or anything, but they are taking certain pieces of the puzzle to communicate what they are trying to communicate in their Gospels. 
And so what Matthew here is trying to communicate overall is, and this is often called the gospel of the king, is that Jesus is the Messiah king. And so how might you also take what you know from from Christ, take what you know from Scripture, and be able to speak to someone a certain truth about Jesus this season? What might you be able to share? You know, when Sarah was up here, it's it's really interesting how... um, our year has gone here at Christ Community Church as we've gathered together. Um, Sarah sharing about the, the giving that we've, that we've seen and how the Lord has been blessing us. And it's so incredible. Um, but another thing, I've had probably half a dozen discussions this week with individuals and each of you have shared about people you're sharing Christ with. Of all the things we could do, that makes me most joyous. That we would give of what we know of Him to someone. In, some, in certain ways, that's what the Magi did as well. Where is this King of the Jews? I mean, aren't you people excited? He's doing that. And so whether it's that we give of our, our treasure, our times, or what we know about the Messiah, think about how to do that according to God's Word. And be encouraged. And walk away peaceful. This morning... I want you to think about how blessed we are. God has revealed these things to us, even us. For those of you who are like me and you came to Christ later in life, you didn't grow up in that family where they're cultivating you in Christ and they're they're communicating the, the glories of the gospel. You know what it's like. I think back sometimes, I'm like, how did I come into the light? You know, the reality is, is I didn't have a star. I had people. People showed me who He was. So let us be the light of the gospel in this season. Let us preach the gospel to others, and let us preach the gospel to ourselves and be reminded of how wondrous and glorious the Christ child is. Let's pray.